This is the water. And this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Listening to Lost in Twin Peaks, a podcast for both first time and veteran viewers of Twin Peaks, the mystery series that ran for two seasons in the early 90s on ABC, followed by a feature film, and 25 years later, a limited series on Showtime. And at the time of this recording, who knows what after that? If you're a new listener who has just discovered this podcast and wants to know more, check out Episode Zero Show Format. The following week of daily podcasts will cover Part 8. An episode of Season 3 aired on Showtime in 2017. The network used lines from each episode for titles, so Part 8 was also known, infamously, as Got a Light? Although recorded for patrons back in 2018, I'm re-editing and re-presenting this coverage, including some new sections, for public release beginning on June 25th, 2022, the fifth anniversary of Part 8. Unusually, in fact for the only time in 46 episodes covering all three seasons in the film, These episodes will feature guests, Em and Steve from the No Ship Network, who co-hosted the Sparkwood and 21 podcast in the mid-teens, covering Twin Peaks themselves, including the return as it aired. For the sections I added later, including current events and archive readings, they're not going to be present, but they joined for all of the original categories back in 2018, including stories, characters, and so forth. Just a reminder that for the first eight episodes of this season, I'll be publishing the illustrated companions on my site, lostinthemovies.com the Saturday after the episodes conclude. This will incorporate screenshots and other images to reflect stories, characters, events from the time, and so forth, in some cases in greater detail than the podcast themselves. So in this case, the Part 8 Illustrated Companion is scheduled for Saturday, July 2nd at 8 a.m. The link in the show notes will be active then. Since back in 2017, Showtime took a week off after this massive episode, and for the 4th of July, I'll be taking a week off too, returning with Part 9 coverage daily for a week on July 9th to hit that anniversary. And at that point, I'm going to return to sharing illustrated companions at the outset of each week. So the Part 9 companion will go up alongside the first episode that same morning. For once, I don't have any other podcast work to share from the past week, but I do plan on releasing some patron rewards in the coming week, and we'll be recording a guest appearance on another podcast this weekend, so stay tuned for those. As usual, we launch our Saturday coverage after a musical immersion with a podcast covering the categories of Laura Palmer, the feel of the episode, and the structure of the episode. Without further ado, then...
twilight is gone. And no songbirds are singing. When the twilight is gone, you come into my heart. And here in my heart, you will stay. While I pray. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi, thank you, Joel, for having us as guests on your podcast. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm glad I finally have a podcast to return the favor on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, let's just go right into part eight. I mean, this is the big one. I knew I wanted to have you guys on for this. Let's talk about Laura. The golden orb is the big Laura thing in this episode. And people have interpreted that as saying, well, she's no longer this human character. She's like this divine entity that came to earth and it kind of removes the human element of it did you feel that way when you watched it and do you feel that way now yeah i think we we interpreted as her being a christ-like figure there was still a lot of room for speculation i remember thinking along the lines of like this is a laura weaponized like they're going to use her she still has a purpose that's going to come out later on in the in the season and she's going to be the hero it's it's going through this tube it's getting shot down to earth she's mm-hmm. she's going to be there to save people but then she gets down there and like m mentioned um it, she becomes a christ-like figure because she's sent to save people but they they don't do her justice they betray her they they don't let her be the best version of herself etc cetera, etc cetera. she dies to vanquish bob sort of yeah doesn't really vanquish him but yeah for the time being yeah at least to defeat him on some level i looked at it more chronologically in terms of the storytelling and the creative process where i was like you know they created this character who was this mysterious dead girl that nobody knew anything about and then we kind of find out more and more about her and then in firewalk with me she kind of becomes this fully realized character and this heroine of the story and this is almost like lynch like blowing her a kiss almost, like like Aww. Senorita Dido was, you know? I like that. Just like taking this visual representation and and sending it off. So like to me, even though it is it does have some sort of prior place in the storytelling, the fact that it comes after all of this development almost feels more like a culmination. Like it feels like less like a divine character being sent to Earth as human than a character who began as a human becoming divine. What if we throw out one more little idea real quick about okay. timelines? Okay, everybody in the fortress, especially the firemen, they're moving very slowly. And we've already talked about how time is going to be a completely different concept for them. So they see this happen, the the bomb going off in White Sands. Laura is... Laura is born however many years later, 30-something years later, lives her life and dies just like she does in the show. Then this happens. She she Wherever she is in the spirit world, the fireman is able to harness her power now that she's dead, and he's sending her back to Earth to be reborn at some future date. But because time does not flow in the same linear fashion up there as it does down here, this could have been send or decades or possibly even centuries not to get too futuristic with it so yeah. we'll just say decades later to where it's going to be sent down and she could mm. be reborn inside of the yeah. character of who knows it's just just something that i was thinking about while we were talking about it because if time doesn't have the same applicability 
yeah. here and there, then what are the rules, really? Yeah, to me, this Lara that we see is like, well, we don't really see a Lara. We see a symbol of her. Like, we see the idea of her. It's a frozen image, but it's like the concept and the energy of Lara, almost. And that, to me, is the Lara from the end of Firewalk with me, who has ascended. Yeah. So then the, the powers that be maybe want, want still want that shining influence in the world somewhere, so they send her back down. But that's just my kind of crackpot yeah. theory to just to cap it all off. I introduce each episode by talking about the feel and the structure of it in sort of separate mm-hmm. sections. So to start off with, the feel of this episode, I think, is very distinct from any previous episode. So much of it is in black and white. And Lynch hadn't worked this much in black and white since The Elephant Man, I believe. Everything he'd done since then was mostly in color, maybe an occasional commercial here or there. But this is extended monochrome work in, I would say, three of like the five sections. And certainly the largest sections of the episode are that way. And... I think also partly because of that, and also partly because you can tell they just poured resources into this episode, I think it's the most beautiful-looking episode of the series as well. There's a lot of visually striking stuff throughout the series, but I know Peter Deming, the cinematographer, complained at, at certain points a little bit that it felt like a little rushed, like he couldn't spend as much time on the image as, as he might have liked to. They had to kind of be quick and dirty in some cases. I think it's meant to actually evoke unease dread and even panic when you watch it it's like a a human rock kind of horror that we imagine edging towards us just beyond the periphery i felt like it was oppressive that's the first word that comes to mind but in a great way i mean this is a hour of in some sense it's hard to watch television but can't take your eyes away from it television your anxiety all of those feelings just get completely ramped up and it really doesn't let you rest too much because even when you have the stuff with the kids that's kind of short-lived and then it goes back to the woodsmen appearing out of everywhere and then going into the radio stations and yeah they're like an infestation yeah they're, they're like little roaches that come out you know powerful roaches i guess i should say yeah even the feeling of oppression that's in this episode dwarfs the giant so to speak because <laughs> there is hope there but it just seems so minuscule in relation to everything else that takes place. The structure of this episode is very unusual. I've been trying to focus each week on how episodes are structured slightly differently, even though, you know, there's there's some continuity there as well. But this one really just stands outside of the pack completely. You almost have three or four films within this episode. Each narrative section is completely self-contained. You don't really have, like, cross-cutting between different threads, you know? Mm. You have... Cooper getting shot, Nine Inch Nails performing, Atomic Bomb Explosion, The Purple World, Tower, and then The New Mexico Desert. It made me feel like I was watching a movie. This mm-hmm. this is the closest that television has come to making me feel like I was sitting in a theater before. Mm-hmm. This could probably be said about any Twin Peaks episode in The Return and even some before that. But if you had taken somebody who was never exposed to the characters and themes of this particular show and sat them down you would never be able to convince them that any of these things had anything to do with each other that they were watching. Mm. So you go, you know, especially when you start with Ray and Mr. C and then you end with the bug going into her mouth and you, you would just have somebody going, I just feel like I saw for like, like (laughs) that's what I mean. It it lends that sense of like, you went to the movies and you saw this director give you four little stories. (laughs) A friend of mine had a videotape of like a Canadian short film animated festival, basically. And you would see these weird experimental 
shorts. Each one was like four or five minutes long and just a very surreal experience. And then it would go into the next one. And that's what this feels like to me. So pretty much what you're saying, like you've gone to like an avant-garde film festival and you're seeing it just happens that they're made by the same director and they're fit into the same episode. And yet there is a cohesion to it as well, which is strange. Like one section flows really nicely into the other. There is almost an intuitive connection between all of it, like a dream or something. Like, you know how you'll dream and you'll be having one one part of the dream will be telling one story and then somehow it'll go off in another direction altogether. It's It has that type of feel to it. And that's it for our first day of coverage for Part 8. Tomorrow we're going to reassemble the categories a little bit, take a different approach. Usually we start with the out-of-town storylines, then we go into the town of Twin Peaks, but this episode is very different. So instead, what we're going to do is an episode tomorrow called In the Present, where we cover the Mr. C and Twin Peaks storylines, the Twin Peaks basically limited to a performance, a stage performance of a song, and uh, talk about what we see there and what the significance of that is before we're going to dive in over the next two days, Monday and Tuesday, into the In the Past uh, sections. And uh, and then at that point, actually, I should say Monday will be in the past. Tuesday will be in the spirit world, which is sort of beyond past and present in a way. So it's going to be great fun discussing all of that. And I look forward to it. But tomorrow, simpler, in the present, just the stuff we see at the beginning of the episode that sets us up for the rest of it. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And uh, you can support this work also as a patron on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. See you tomorrow. 